This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast with Andrew Jobling, author, speaker, educator, entrepreneur, and AFL player. Join Andrew as he continues his lifelong journey as a student of human behavior. This podcast will help you live your passion, explore your potential, step into your power, and embrace your possibilities. Embrace your possibilities. possibilities. Hey there, this is Andrew Jobling and welcome to the Wellness Puzzle Podcast. My guest this week is the wonderful Dr. Lillian Najard. Lillian is a clinical psychologist, but she's way more than that. Over many, many years, not only has she worked with a lot of clinical patients to really help them create positive change in their life, she's now a speaker, she works in private practice, she's an author, she's someone who's doing an incredible amount of work in the space of helping people get better sleep, helping people deal with stress and anxiety. And particularly, I guess, in this time in history, there's a lot of that stress, anxiety, uncertainty around. And Lillian's got some wonderful tips, tools, tricks, and inspirational stories to help people. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Dr. Lillian Najad. So Lillian, wonderful to have you. And I was just thinking about how did we meet for the first time? Well, I think... um we met for the first time at one of your seminars where you were you collected a few presenters to help people with um, publishing their own books. That's right. That was yeah. uh, 2000 and, 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 and I think it was about 2016. It was a while ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. And I actually I was connected to you before then, but I hadn't met you. You probably don't know this, but you had put something on, I'm not sure what platform. It was like a kind of like a course that you would send through via email bit by bit to get people going on writing book. And I think I bought that probably a year before I turned up at that workshop that you gave. Good one. And did that workshop work for you? Well, clearly, because you're now an author. Yeah. Well, you know, I had been an author previously, but I had this kind of very long hiatus between books. And I was, because the publishing world had changed so much in the 10 years since I had published before, because I had a book um, published in 2008, and then I had children and just didn't write again. The There was self-help option, I mean, not self-publishing options. And I'd already been through the process of publishing with a publisher before. And I felt that there were lots of pros to that, but there were also lots of cons. So I was kind of exploring the idea of writing another book, but also exploring how I was going to do that and perhaps find a different way of publishing this time and a different way of marketing. So so I was really looking in the community for any resources that I could to help me along the way. And yours was one of them. Oh, good. I hope it helped. But so, it was I mean, helpful, yeah. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm mm-hmm. useful for something. First book was published 10 years ago, and you've got 12, 12 years now. Mm. And so now you've got two. Is that right? Two published yeah, books? Yeah, I've published two books, and I've published a relaxation CD in 2008 as well. And you're doing lots of online stuff and courses. And, and so let's let's just go back, Lillian. Let's go way back because <laughs> you're a clinical psychologist and you're doing a lot of amazing things. So tell Thank us you. a little bit how it all began for you because clearly you're not born an Australian, even though you're an Aussie now. 
Tell us about where yeah. you came from. Tell us about wow. why you came to Australia. Tell us about the a little bit of oh, the evolution of my whole life Li- Nasia. Okay. Well, I was born and raised in America, uh, in the DC area, um, for the most part. And I think that I was planning on becoming a lawyer <laughs> to start with. I have a very kind of logical, practical, pragmatic mind. I'm glad and, you didn't. Um, I know. I'm glad too, actually. I went to university um, in the States. You don't have to specialize right away. They give you like a year and a half to explore lots of different subjects and decide where you want to specialize. So I majored in psychology and minored in philosophy and was taking French and a whole range of other things. And I ended up taking a psychology and law class and discovered that I definitely didn't like the law part of that class. And started exploring psychology more seriously. And then I also, um, my idea for being, for going the psychology route was to be a professor at a university because I loved the university lifestyle so much. It's very different in the States, as you probably know. Um, In the U.S., people often go away to school. They are pretty much required to live on campus for the first year at least, and a lot of people live on campus for all four years. It's a, a really big, vibrant, young, youthful, dynamic community that you live in. And so to me, being a professor sounded like an amazing job just to be on a beautiful campus and teaching people who are eager to learn and being in a really dynamic, cutting edge environment. So that was my idea to start with. And then I graduated from Emory University where I went to school. And then I went on a trip over the summer to Europe before I was going to start my postgraduate degree. And I met my current husband overseas. Mm, Wow, in Europe. In Europe. So we met in Europe and then um, just had a long distance kind of back and forth thing. He was from here in Australia and didn't really think it was going to go (laughs) anywhere because I wasn't planning on moving to Australia anytime soon. And I mean, why would you? Well, that was what I thought. Why would I? I'm going to pursue my postgraduate degree and I'm going to, you know, I had all these plans. So, but anyway, I did come to visit and I really was pleasantly surprised, I think. I think that people in the U.S. still don't really know what Australia has to offer and definitely didn't 25 years ago when I came to visit. I was expecting everyone to look like Olivia Newton-John and... (laughs) I wasn't expecting a big, cosmopolitan, diverse, vibrant, cultural city. You were expecting kangaroos to be hopping down the street like, well, like most Americans do. I don't Americans know that do. I was that, that far you know, from reality, but I wasn't expecting to see a lot of people that looked like me and um, really a big um, cultural entertainment, food, you know, diverse epicenter of the world. I really didn't expect that. So, and then my, my boyfriend at the time was researching universities where I could pursue my postgraduate degree in Australia. <laughs> so it's trying to convince me to move here. And I think by the end of my trip, which was only two weeks, I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I'm just wow. going to move to Australia. Go with the flow. And I think, you know, when you're young and there's really nothing holding you back, then that's the perfect time to take chances and risks. risks and um, pursue adventures, and I was up for it. So I was like, yep, 
why not live and work and study somewhere different? I'd always been um, somebody who wanted to live somewhere overseas at some point in my life. I didn't think Australia. I was thinking more in Europe, but that's, I was perfectly happy to explore Australia. And if the relationship worked, it worked. And if it didn't, it didn't. Well, it has. has it has. Incredibly yes, well. we, it has. We've been together for 25 years and, and we have two children. Two kids. Yep. Yeah. And um, things are good. And I stayed in Melbourne because I love it here. Like I don't, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I really, really, really love Australia, and I love living in this city. So that's good. That, so it? that's yeah. And then I just pursued my postgraduate degree here, and through that process, I discovered that I actually like to do the clinical work more than I liked teaching, and more than really anything else to do with psychology. So I started doing clinical work working in community health services. And then I worked for public mental health on inpatient psychiatric wards with crisis teams, with early psychosis teams and all sorts of different places. And then I did go and have a stint at uh, Monash University as a lecturer. Just and to try did out. it live up to the expectation <laughs> and dreams you held earlier in your life? Uh, no, actually, I did enjoy it and I got a lot out of working there, but it didn't really live up to didn't stack up well no well I and look it's a different environment here so it wasn't going to be the same anyway but I've discovered I think that I prefer to have direct contact with clients so rather than teach others how to do the work I prefer to do the work directly myself but I still do enjoy supervising students to become clinicians because I think that's important work and I want to be able to guide people to do the best that they can in, in this job so I do that from time to time. And then I went back to public mental health after university and then I worked there for a few more years. And then I went into private practice, which is what I'm doing. Pretty right cool. Now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And to, I mean, with the whole clinical stuff, you must have seen some pretty wild things. I mean, when you're dealing with in psychiatric wards and. Yeah. What, well, tell us, know, give us one. There's got to be one story that you remember of a, some interaction you had. Anything you well, can share wait, that is so not many, under privacy? I guess, I mean, you have to be careful when you're a psychologist not to really reveal any details oh, no, of the people that I you thought I'd ask. But, um, look, I've had so many experiences in so many different settings. And my very, very first setting before I was officially a psychologist was in the U.S. So before I moved to Australia, I had a job as a counselor in an adolescent facility where children were sent by the courts to do drug and alcohol rehabilitation. And these kids were age 12 to 17. And this place was um, in kind of in the middle of country, Virginia. And I was only 21. So I actually looked kind of like I was one of the kids. So sometimes when the parents would come visit their children and they would get introduced to me as the, their counselor, they'd be like, Really? <laughs> How is she the counselor? She looks like one of the children. Um, but I have to say that was probably one of the best experiences I've had because not only because you get to help really, 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 I can't even describe the stories that these children, the experiences that they had to live through before they got to that facility at such a young age having to deal with you know, parents who had drug and substance use issues, um, 
abuse, trauma, everything that you could possibly imagine that would be unimaginable for you to experience, these children had experienced. And then to see that with time and energy and care and validation and focused, you know, treatment that these kids could improve, they could learn skills to manage their lives better and to have like a real connection with these kids while they were there. It was so important for me. Not And I think partly it was helpful because it meant that any story that I heard from then on wasn't a shock to me at all. It, I, I had heard such shocking stories in this experience that I could really hear anything after that and and feel like I could handle it and feel like, you know, this is something that I could help somebody deal with. Yes. So that was really important. And then to be able to see that change can occur no matter what people have experienced before. Absolutely. And it also and it also puts things in perspective too, because as obviously we're sitting here talking, unfortunately, we both live in the same city, but we can't be in the same room together yeah. without the help of technology. So, you know, obviously we're in the middle of the coronavirus and, you know, when you really put it into perspective, when you think about what some of these kids have been through, what real trauma is, what we're going through right now is just a walk in the park, really. And it's all about how we look at that. So, we, I mean, we're going to talk more about that and how we deal with this situation because I know you're doing a lot of great work around yeah, COVID-19 look- and dealing with anxiety. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll touch on more of that in the second part of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, how people respond to something like this does depend a lot on what their past experiences have been and whether they do have the skills that they need to manage a challenging time in their lives. Like some people don't have a lot of challenges in their lives. And that's, of course, that's great and fine. And it means that you're really lucky that you haven't had those experiences. But that does mean that you may struggle in times of like these where you're faced with a huge challenge and you have to adapt pretty quickly to, you know, pretty significant changes to how you live and work and socialize. Well, everything's changed incredibly in, in within just a couple of weeks. We've got schools closed and kids are doing school from home now and mm. so many people have, are out of work and so many people's business, I mean, your, I'm sure your business has changed, my business has changed uh-huh. overnight, this has happened. So to ha- to deal with that stuff, you need tools, you need resources, you need mindset concepts and shifting and, and support. So we're going to yeah. have a quick break now, Lillian, but we're going to come back in the second part and we're going to dig in and I really want to pick your brain because you are someone with incredible knowledge and and experience in this space and I think you can help the listeners a lot and certainly help listeners help people that they care about that might be struggling at the moment so we will be back shortly great be inspired be engaged get motivated and make real change in your life and the people around you Andrew Jobling knows how to inspire. On stage, he's riveting and engaging. Andrew is helping audiences around the world live their best life. Book him for a face-to-face or an online event. Go to andrewjobling.com.au to find out more. Before we really dig into the meat of what I want to talk to you about today, Lillian, I'd just want I'd love for you to share a bit more about, we talked about your working clinical psychology working in as a social worker and that sort of stuff 
and then you went into private practice. So tell us a little bit about the transition from private practice now to, I mean, you do still do a little bit of private practice, but mm-hmm. you don't do anywhere near as much and you're doing a lot more speaking now and your books and your online stuff. Tell us a little bit about that because I know there are people listening that are going, well, how do I get out of this face-to-face ongoing consultation style situation and have a bit more choice and freedom and flexibility and creativity with what I do? Yeah, you know, um, I think when I transitioned from working in the public mental health system into private practice, I was just focused on getting, you know, getting clients and seeing people one-on-one. And I actually really enjoy that. So I, I never wanted to stray from that. My concern was more limiting that so that I would have time to explore other things. Because I did want to go to into private practice so that I could have, I guess, more flexibility with the time that I have to work in terms of what I'm doing, but also be able to explore the other things that I have to offer and that I enjoy doing, which is to write or create, to deliver groups and courses and and those sorts of things. So my task was not, I actually limited my private practice from the very start to two to three days a week. And I, it's now two days because I want to use the other two or three days to work on all of the rest of the stuff. And then to get all of the rest of the stuff going was, I mean, it's a progress. It's like a work in progress. I think I struggled with that in the first year because when you're building a new business, you have to learn everything about the business. When you're doing your own thing, you have to learn software programs. You have to learn how to bill. You have to learn how to market. You have to learn you know, how to file taxes in a different way. I mean, there's, only, there's so many things with a business that you have to work out. And that's pretty much what my focus was in the first year. And also I wasn't very good at making money. <laughs> so, you know, if people didn't have enough, I'm like, okay, you just pay me whatever you can, which is, you Did know, you end up with chickens and cows and stuff in your front yard <laughs> because people had no money to, or well, broken cuckoo know, clocks or? I have a lot of empathy, you know, and I want to be able to provide an affordable service. Also, the fact that I'm running a business and have to make a living myself. I think one of the things that I had to learn how to do was network. Because when you're kind of doing your own private thing, you're basically on your own. Like I've always, always worked for organizations and within teams. And I love that. I love the collaborative process a lot and working on things with at least one other person, if not more. So how do you do that when you're just working by yourself? So I really had to find people who were like-minded and who could, I guess, help as well if they were like further along the track than I was. So that was one, learning how to network, just going places by myself and not like having that safety person with me. Like, you know, you go somewhere and you're like, can you come as well? And then you end up just talking with your one friend and you don't network at all. So I know that I I do that. I, I tend to just stick with the people I know. So I thought, well, no, I'll just have to go by myself. And just meet people. Um, So that was one thing. And another thing was to go to things like your workshop and seminars and um, read a lot on, you know, there's so many resources available on the net that you can look up how to do things, how to self-publish, how to upload courses, how to record things. Just read. And it's not easy. Like this is, it's not like um, if you want to develop this kind of life 
for yourself in this kind of business that has that flexibility and freedom that you want. There's a lot of effort it that is, goes there into is. it. But there really is. Yeah. I mean, once you put that effort in and then you get your systems in place and you have your networks and you know, you're doing exactly what you want to be doing, it's, it's a lot easier, but to get to that point, it takes a lot of work. And I think I'm in maybe my fifth year of private practice. And I'm only now really feeling like I'm hitting my stride that I, that I have really great connections with people that I'm able to put out really helpful, useful information. Am I very good at marketing still? Not really. I'm not still that comfortable with that side of the business, but I'm getting better at it. And I guess for me, it's about quality, just making sure that what I put out there is good information, that it's based on something real, that it's scientifically backed, that, that I have seen not only anecdotally that my clients have been assisted by it, but that I know through research that, you know, these are effective skills and strategies that I'm imparting to others. And I guess my aim is to make sure that everyone has access to this information, not just the few people that make it to the office, you know, of a psychologist or another kind of mental health or well-being person. Because I know, I think after a while, as a psychologist and probably any other helping profession, you start thinking that what you know is common sense and that everybody knows what you know. And then it's, you find out that actually that's, that's not really the case. And it should be. It should be the case that everybody knows. And that's really what I'm trying to, to rectify is to make sure that everybody has knowledge of the skills and strategies that help when we're going through challenges and when we're not going through challenges and when we're feeling anxious and when we're, you know, feeling relaxed. Like we, there's always some um, skills that will be helpful, you know, yep. for us to be using on a regular basis. Absolutely. And I just want everyone to know what they are. Wonderful. And, and I mean, there's a couple of lots just wrapped up in what you just said over the last five minutes. And I think the first thing is for anyone listening that's thinking about, well, I mean, they may be in a situation now where they're almost forced to look at alternatives and one of those alternatives might be going to business. Do something uh-huh. do something around sharing your knowledge and your wisdom and, and the stuff that you know. And, and so, you know, learning how to podcast and learning how to write books and learning how to market and learning how uh-huh. to create online programs and the networking stuff you spoke about is important and it takes courage. It really does. but And I know you said, you look, it's it's hard. It's work. I've never found the work hard because I've always been excited about what I'm creating. And I think when you get a vision for what you're trying to do and you're very, obviously very clear about what the impact you're trying to have on lives. Yeah. You know, the work's, you don't count the hours. You do what you have to do, right? Like if you're finishing a book, you'll stay up till midnight or get up at four in the morning to do it. When you're, <laughs> when you're building an online program and you want to launch it, you know, you just do it and it's exciting and fun. And I think for people listening that have an idea that they would like to go into business for themselves, do it. You know, that my, my recommendation is just do it. And as you said, you know, what have you got to lose? And I can tell you from my perspective, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. I love it and I wouldn't have lived my life any other way. And I know what you're doing, Lillian, is impacting your life and your family's yeah. life, but also other people as well. Yeah. And I actually think that's an interesting point you make that, you know, if you're passionate about what you're doing, then the effort is worth it. So I think things can be fun and, you know, difficult at the same time. Like, I think that it's reasonable to feel like you're putting in 
a lot of effort and maybe it's very challenging, but you're still enjoying that challenge. And I think a lot of thing, meaningful things that we pursue in life are challenging and can bring up all sorts of emotions, not just joy and happiness, but also anxiety and distress and stress and maybe disappointment sometimes. And you kind of have to be ready for all of those things when you're pursuing anything meaningful, whether it's a new business or whether it's having children or whether it's, you know, like no matter what, you know, you do or what you're passionate about, it's going to come with you know, the whole range of emotions, because that's the human experience. And we have to experience all of those things. So it's important to just expect, you know, that that sometimes you're going to feel super passionate and happy and joyful and engaged. And when you're doing this sort of work and other times you might feel, you know, less motivated, or you might feel like worried that it's not good enough, or you might be disappointed at the, um, whatever the outcome is that you were expecting didn't happen. And all of that's part of the process. And if you expect it, then you'll be less distressed by it because I think any process of change is going to come with setbacks and mistakes and failures and all sorts of things. And so why would, you know, why would you feel bad about things that should happen during the change process or through building something like it's, that's what's supposed to happen. Yep. We're supposed to stuff it up. And we're supposed to stuff it up multiple times. And all that means is that you're trying and you're in the process. If you're not stuffing up, you're not doing anything. Therefore, nothing will happen. So please be be happy with mistakes and failures and stuff ups because it's all part of the the journey. So Uh I was flicking through Instagram the other day as I do. And then I saw Dr. Lillian Najad come up. Did you? I did. I did. And, (laughs) And her little post was about a new course that she's got, I'm guessing this is an online course, Coping with Anxiety in Tough Times. Uh-huh. I thought, hmm, that sounds like it could be a, a good topic to discuss. Learn the skills to manage coronavirus-related anxiety and other challenging experiences in your life. And I think what I want to touch on is some of the – I don't want you to give away all your content because then people aren't going <laughs> to rush out and buy your course. But we are living in a time where I've – and I've said this before – that I think that the the impact of the actual coronavirus is a scratch on a hippopotamus's backside compared to the impact of anxiety and stress and fear that's created in this time. You know, the coronavirus is a drop in the ocean compared to loss of job, loss of income, you know, uh-huh. maybe stress at home, family life, uncertainty about what's going on, uncertainty about what's going to happen. That's uh-huh. the biggest issue. And why I love what you're doing, Lillian, is because you're not just helping people survive through a coronavirus. You're giving people skills that will, on the other side of the coronavirus, they're more prepared to deal with life. And life is going to throw challenges all the time. This is just one of them. This is just one of the things that we've got to deal with. So let's get up, take our thumb out of our mouth, get up, get on with it, learn some skills, move through it, and prepare ourselves better for the next time something happens. So Lillian, talk us for a little bit about how you – can ad- or would advise people that are dealing with stress and anxiety at this particular time? What are some things they could do? Well, um, I think, look, look, what you said is absolutely true. It's not just about worries about your health with this pandemic. It's worries about your life. It's worries about your financial situation, about your family. It's concerns about a whole range of things. It could, And it could be also 
how this has exacerbated problems that you've already, you already have there. And there might have been lots. I mean, people have problems all the time. So this is just like one thing on top of everything else. So I think the first thing that I think is so important is to accept the situation that we're in, like fully accept it. So yes, we are in this pandemic that means that we're lo- we've lost some things. And for everyone, that's going to be different. For some people, it's going to be just their freedom for a while. And for other people, it's going to be their jobs or their financial security or a whole, you know, a whole range of things. In order to like do anything about our situation, we kind of need to know exactly what the reality of our situation is. And that just comes with like accepting reality as it is. And then also accepting that we are just going to feel anxious right now. We're going to feel more anxious right now than we usually feel. That's just the reality of the situation for most people. Most people are going through a lot of stress for various reasons, and we are all feeling maybe very uncertain about what's next, what's the, you know, how long we're going to have to live like this, and what is this going to mean for our futures. And I think it's really helpful just to not just accept that, but validate that for yourself, that it's actually okay to have this kind of extra layer of anxiety that's kind of washed over all of us. Like, that's okay. And it's there for a reason. Like, anxiety is not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. I think people tend to view anxiety as a bad or negative emotion, and it actually isn't. We have anxiety for a reason. It's there to help us survive. And if we didn't have it, we we wouldn't be able to survive. It's there to protect us. So the reason we're feeling anxiety right now is because we're concerned about, you know, how we're going to get through this. And it actually can spur us on and motivate us to take effective action. And I think that's the kind of the second part. It's like, well, is your anxiety helping you make effective choices and take effective action? Or is it hindering you because the level of anxiety is so intense and so severe that you can't think properly to make effective choices and actions? So I think one of the, you know, after you accept what's going on now and after you kind of say to yourself, it's okay for me to feel anxious right now, like that's a reasonable way to feel at the moment. But then you need to assess like, okay, it makes sense for me to feel anxious, but is there anything about how I'm experiencing anxiety that's unhelpful? And what am I going to do about that? And how do they, how do you detect that? I mean, how do you work out what's good anxiety and what's bad anxiety? What's dangerous for us or is unnecessary and what is necessary? How do we work that out? Yeah, I look in in the course, I actually go through some of the ways that you can assess that. But I think um, one of the main ways is to ask yourself, is the level of my anxiety appropriate or effective at this time? And also, what is my anxiety making me want to do? So is it making me want to take steps to help myself and help my family and help others or provide support or think about fun things to do at home? You know, is it helping me do like effective things or is it making me do things that actually aren't effective or helpful, like hoarding supplies, like You know, maybe is it, you know, resulting in panic attacks? Is it making you isolate? Is it making you scream and shout at the people in your house? (laughs) Like, 
like really pay attention to your behaviors or the urges you have to do things and 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 then you know are those behaviors effective or are they not and that gives you a sense of whether your anxiety is taking you down a helpful path or not and then if it isn't taking you down a helpful path then it's about learning ways to dial down the anxiety enough so that you can engage that part of your brain that can make rational reasonable decisions so that you can make more effective choices and decisions for your for yourself and for your family and for your friends and everybody. Cool. So, I mean, what would be one or two tips you could give people to help them that are they've recognised that the anxiety is taking them down a, a negative path in terms of behaviours and actions? What is well, one or two things they could do to try and change that? So, look, one set of things to do are things that are relaxing. I think... Sometimes when people feel really stressed or distressed, they actually stop doing the things that will help them calm down. And relaxation exercises is, I mean, it sounds really simplistic, but it actually is one of the most effective ways to reduce stress and anxiety. And so by relaxation exercises, I mean both like formal ones, like particular breathing exercises or progressive muscle relaxation exercises. And also ones that are just about, well, what do you normally do to relax? Like, what are things that make you feel calm and soothed and peaceful and content? And to remember what those things are and actually do them. You don't have to spend hours doing it. You can just start with a couple of minutes and see how that affects your life. And even a couple of minutes, paying attention to, you know, the sounds of, the leaves rustling and, you know, outside when the wind blows can be a relaxing experience for you. It can actually give you some calm and peace. Or you might like to look at something that you find relaxing and peaceful. And I did mention progressive muscle relaxation before. And the reason I mentioned that specifically is because that is the most well-researched evidence-based relaxation practice to elicit the relaxation response. So the idea behind progressive muscle relaxation is to start from, you know, the top of your body to the bottom, or, you know, you can go from bottom to top and tense your muscle groups one by one for a certain amount of seconds and then release the tension. And you do it like, it's probably easier to do it along with a script. So getting onto something like Insight Timer or Smiling Mind or Headspace or one of those other mindfulness or relaxation apps and looking up a progressive muscle relaxation script. You can probably find some on YouTube as well, actually, and just following along with the instructions. And it has been shown in, in about a 20, usually about 20 to 30 minutes, you will feel more relaxed. And it's something that you can practice regularly, whether you're feeling anxious or not anxious, because it will actually lower your overall level of stress in general. So that means that when you do face challenging times, you're less vulnerable to feeling intensely anxious. Mm. So it's good. It's a good prep to do as well as helping you during anxious times. Wonderful. There's some wonderful tips there. Now, one thing that often I think about is, well, anxiety. And I know, certainly know for me, I've had anxiety a lot of my life. And, uh-huh. and often it's based on what I'm thinking about. It's perception. It's perspective. It's belief. Absolutely. It's all about belief. So if, if someone's got a chronic anxiety and the relaxation stuff's going to help while you're doing it and hopefully help you create good habits around relaxation, but how 
How do you help people change their perspective so that the same situation they're looking at that may normally cause that anxiety can be viewed in a, from a different perspective and can then translate into a different emotional state? Yeah, and that's an excellent point. Um, one of the main treatment modalities for anxiety is called cognitive behavioral therapy. And that's all about how you um, identify your thoughts that are leading to certain feelings and behaviors. So the idea is your thoughts are what lead to your emotions and your behaviors. And the reason that we all respond differently to different situations is because of the way that we think. And it's certainly well established that an optimistic outlook will help you perform better and to be more effective as well. So it's kind of a combination of the two. So one of the things that you can do is write down the thoughts that you have when you feel anxious. Just write them down. Any thoughts that you have, they might be, uh, they might be all kinds of thoughts. They might be optimistic. They might be pessimistic. They, they may be worries. They're often worries if you're feeling anxious worries about the future, worries about what you might have said in the past, worries about what's going on in the present. And then usually if you write down your thoughts while you're feeling anxious and you do this like for a period of time, like even over like a, a few days or a week is ideal, a week or two is actually ideal. You kind of get a pattern that comes out like, oh, this is how I think when I feel anxious. And once you can see what that pattern, those patterned thoughts are, then you can do something about that. And there's two kind of schools of thought in terms of what you can do with your thoughts. And one is, I call the, the acceptance pathway, and the other is the change pathway. So the acceptance pathway is more associated with treatment called acceptance and commitment therapy or dialectical behavior therapy. And the change pathway is cognitive behavioral therapy. So the change pathway is about identifying your thoughts and then looking at them and asking them, asking them questions. Is there any evidence for this? Have I been able to deal with these things in the past? Is this a helpful way of thinking? Where have I got, where have I got this thought? Do I do or belief that I have? And do I want to keep it? Like, is this just a thought that or a belief that I got from my caregiver or my parents or my teachers or my siblings or is this my own belief and thought? And then you work on ways to modify how you think. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're changing a negative thought to a positive thought. That's actually not that helpful to do that. It's more about turning an unhelpful thought into something that is more helpful or an unrealistic thought into something that reflects reality better. And that process is really effective to go through. But there is this other avenue called the acceptance pathway. So if you don't want to get involved and analyze your thoughts and go through that process, what you can do is just accept that you have those thoughts and that that's part of how your brain works at the moment and that you can just observe those thoughts without getting involved in them and without taking them too seriously and without thinking that they're facts. They're just thoughts that go through your mind. And you just learn to observe them and let them go without doing anything in particular, because your thoughts just, they will change. If you just, if you just observe your thoughts, they do change. Um, we have like 80,000, you know, up to 50 or 80,000 thoughts a day. So there's lots and we're the ones choosing 
to pay attention. You know, we're obviously not paying attention to all of those thoughts. We're choosing the ones we're paying attention to. So it's kind of like it's making a decision about not paying that much attention to them. And that's a that's really a mindfulness activity. Wonderful. We just don't have the time to go into all the detail and depth we would love to, but it sounds incredibly uh, interesting. And I know people would want to get more information. And, and when we come back after the break, Lillian, you can tell people how they can find out more information of what you've already shared. So we're going to have a quick break and we'll be back shortly. Thank you. In today's world, telewellness has been thrust into the spotlight. The wellness industry has been growing every year, and an increasing number of both individuals and businesses are looking for wellness solutions and services. In order to compete in today's market and give your customers the care and attention they expect, you need a partner in growth. Best Being is the first software service designed specifically for the wellness industry. Our suite of highly advanced but easy to use online tools and discovery platform make engaging with your customers and providing the wellness services they need a breeze. Supercharge your business today with Best Being. Go to bestbeing.com provider to learn more and get started today. Lillian, you've given us an enormous amount of information in a short period of time, so very grateful for that. My head's about to explode. <laughs> Uh, I hope that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> I do tend to overwhelm people with information, so I apologize. I just want to give as much as I can in this short period of time, and I, I do that to my clients. I always warn them. I'm like, if I'm giving you too much, please tell me because I just want to give you as much as possible. And it's wonderful because you're obviously very passionate about it and you want to help people, and I think that's fabulous. So, look, I guess we're just now going to sort of start to wrap up and come to the end of this wonderful podcast. But what are some real simple steps, some simple things, simple ideas right now that people can take on board today and just help them? They're going to come up with a challenge today or tomorrow or the next day with their family or with their work or with who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know. And that's yeah. what one of the uncertain things about this time is things are happening so fast we can't seem we can't even predict what tomorrow is going to bring so knowing that how do we do something today to prevent the anxiety tomorrow when something that we don't expect happens i'm throwing you under the bus here lillian well no i mean there's there's a few things um and definitely you can get started on any of these things today i i don't know if people know but the the number one factor in the development of resilience is social connection and close relationships. So it can't, it can't be underestimated how important that is right now with physical distance, connect with the people in your house. If you've got people in your house or home, but also if you don't connect with people outside and by video is the best method because face-to-face is always the best way. So if you can do it by a video, please do that. So that's one thing Um, I mentioned doing something relaxing, make time for yourself to do something relaxing, even if it's just two minutes. Do something fun, anything fun. It might be something where you're watching somebody else do something fun. I've seen so many funny things that come out of this pandemic and so many people are being creative. And If I can't be as creative as as them, I'm going to join in by watching. So do fun things. Do at least one fun thing, one relaxing thing, one social thing. And if you can make room, do one challenging thing. One, one new thing that you've, like, 
It could be learn a new vocabulary word or it could be learn how to count to 10 in Chinese or it could be, I mean, it could be whatever you want it to be. Well, even, I mean, Um, let's think about that right now. I mean, people are learning, the opportunity to learn stuff at the moment is incredible. I mean, how many people are learning how to use Zoom? How many people are learning how to, I mean, for me, this is quite early stage of having a podcast and I've had to learn the process of recording and producing and uploading and hosting and distributing podcasts. So many things. (laughs) I mean, it's a great time now to really get out of your comfort zone and learn something every day. It's easy to do. So I think that's a wonderful thing because the feeling of satisfaction once you've learned it and overcome it and got past that feeling of clumsiness and I've got that cluelessness and go, okay, well, I can do this, then that's building confidence and resilience, isn't it? Yeah. And there's, I mean, like you said, it's like what you can learn and challenge yourself with that there are endless possibilities. You know, you could write a song, you could learn how to play the piano or the guitar, or you could, I mean, really you could do, you could do a challenging puzzle. Like you could do whatever you want, but I think it's just to get that sense of satisfaction and mastery in your life can be really important while you're stuck at home and maybe not able to work. So doing something Challenging can be really helpful with that. So I'd say social, relaxation, fun, challenging. Wonderful. Mm. That's perfect, Lillian. A wonderful way to finish this off. Now, people are going to want to contact you for maybe for your help, your support, for your programs, for your books. How do they do that? Well, I'd say one of the places is through my Life Blockers website. So if you go to the lifeblockers.com, What you'll find there are links to my books and my blogs and some radio segments that I've done in the past. But also at the bottom of the homepage, you'll see that there is an area to put your contact details. So if you have a question or something like that, you can ask me there. If you want to um, find out more about the course, that is on an app right now called Insight Timer. That's the most widely used app in the world. Um, It's the meditations and relaxation exercises on there are free, but the courses cost about $20 US and they are 10 sessions of about 15 minutes per session. For 20 bucks um, US? Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's great value. So while Insight Timer has that option of you can just buy the course that you want or you can subscribe and you can have access to any course that you want. So there's like hundreds of them. So it's really however you want to consume information. Um, but you can, and there's so many free things on, on their app as well, which is really useful. So my courses are on there. I've got the anxiety course up there, and I also have an insomnia course. So if you're struggling with sleep, that's um, somewhere you can go to get some help with that. And I have some relaxation and mindfulness exercises that you can listen to for free as well. Well, it sounds like you're a one-stop shop, Lillian, for, for people that are wanting to get through and, and strengthen and become more resilient and become more peaceful and relaxed and get rid of anxiety and create habits and mindset that will help them not just get through coronavirus, but it'll help them thrive and survive and live a wonderful life beyond this pandemic. And it will be over, people listening, it will be over and we will have a life to live outside of this. and That's right. This is temporary, um, but we just need to get through this. And these skills will help you with any challenges you have in your life. So it's not just related to what's going on now. It's related to, to anything. Yeah, totally. So I really hope that it helps. And I really appreciate you um, talking to me about it today. Pleasure. It's been wonderful having you, Dr. Lillian Najad. And I know 
that people listening to this have got a lot out of it. And so, again, thank you very much. You're very welcome. What a jam-packed, information-filled, inspirational conversation I just had with Dr. Lillian Najard. And as you probably realised, that conversation was had smack bang in the middle of COVID-19. And even though we are now, well, certainly in Australia, coming out the other side, a lot of the things that Lillian spoke about around dealing with stress, anxiety, fear and uncertainty are things that you can absolutely apply in your life at any particular stage, not just when there's a pandemic on, but at any time that you are experiencing any sort of anxiety or stress in your life. So it was wonderful. And again, I thank Dr. Lillian Najar. Now you can contact her if you go to www.lifeblockers.com and you'll be able to find out more about the things she's doing, the program she's running and the books she's written, and you'll be able to get in contact with her through her site. Thanks again to my sponsors of the podcast, Best Being. They're doing a wonderful job, and I'm very, very grateful for them to help me, but also help many, many people improve their health and well-being. And they're at www.bestbeing.com. My website is andrewjobling.com.au and I want to just say thank you for being part of this podcast. If you are getting inspired and informed by the people I'm speaking to, I really encourage you to share the podcast. The more people that we can get to listen to this stuff, I believe the better the world will be and it is my mission to create a wave of wellness and wonder all around the world. So thank you again. My name is Andrew Jobling. This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast. Podcast.